0: Welcome to another episode of the Mystery Bible On podcast. You guys know that I always say that I am excited about the topic, and it's always true. But tonight, I'm particularly excited because we are joined by guest co-host and author Ken Johnson. Here's why you all should know who Ken Johnson is. I get asked constantly, Joel, how do you have all this weird, obscure, ancient information about things? Or, hey, what are the sources you're using when you bring up the Testament of Amram or something like that? Where do I find that? And the answer very regularly is Ken Johnson because Ken Johnson has made ancient Dead Sea Scroll material available easy to purchase. He has commentary on it. And we were discussing before the conversation here that I counted and I have no fewer than six Ken Johnson books on my bookshelf. And when I say six Ken Johnson books, a lot of that material is ancient material that he has uh, collated, found, and commented on and then published in a small book. So I owe a great debt to Ken Johnson for my breadth and understanding of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is vastly eclipsed by his, and I know Dan would say similarly. Uh, Brian Brown is not able to join us tonight, but I know he's going to be extremely jealous of the conversation that we are about to have. So tonight, we are recording this, interestingly, on February 28th, the day before a leap year. And the reason why that matters is because we are discussing ancient calendars. Now, for some of you who are rolling your eyes and saying, why does that matter? I promise you, if you find this podcast in general interesting, you're going to find this material interesting because this is very relevant. If you want to understand feasts, festivals, and the reason why those things matter, because they explain to us the times and the prophecies about the times, and as we... Are entering what's probably some very interesting times, then the more we understand the overarching narrative of calendar and times and seasons, the more the Bible makes sense and the more we get a good idea and orientation to what might be going on in our very lifetime. So I want to give the disclaimer now that nobody here is trying to name the hour or the day of the return of the Messiah. That's not the point what we're trying to do is understand the Bible and the information that it makes clear to us. And what it makes clear is that we should be paying attention. And one of the ways we pay attention from the beginning of creation is through the calendar. That's very difficult to do if we don't understand the difference between our calendar and what calendar Noah was looking at, or Adam, or Jesus for that matter. And it's not that simple. But Ken Johnson has written a book called The Ancient Dead Sea Scroll Calendar and the Prophecies It Reveals where he goes to great lengths to explain the ancient calendar versus the modern calendar, the ancient Jewish calendar versus the modern Jewish calendar versus our Gregorian calendar, and he is able to illuminate some deeply fascinating things that are extremely relevant today. So Ken Johnson is an author and a lecturer. He speaks on a variety of issues related specifically to biblical prophecy, ancient history, the church. Uh, He's he's an expert on the Dead Sea Scrolls. He has a doctorate in theology from the Christian College of Texas in Texarkana. If you search really hard online, you can find uh, some Bible studies that he's led that I've benefited from. And he also has a website that he will share with you towards the end of this. So that's who we have tonight. Buckle up, put on your helmet, your life vest, your seatbelt, whatever else you need to do as we explore the space of calendar and prophecy and Dead Sea Scrolls. Ken Johnson, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Ken, I want to start with some broad conversation. Many of our listeners who have been listening from the beginning of our podcast episodes are familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, but we are constantly getting new listeners and new people joining which we're very grateful for. We have the best uh, audience and listeners in the world. Take a few minutes and just explain why do the Dead Sea Scrolls matter? Why are we talking about a bunch of ancient stuff that was found in some caves and why have you dedicated so much of your time and brain power and gifting from God to trying to make sense of these ancient documents?
1: Well, I think it's important because um, the Bible tells us that we're a fallen race and we need salvation and Jesus came to save us and there was a first coming and there'll be a second coming. And all of that has to do with prophecy, Uh, Israel coming back, Israel being displaced. And what's interesting about it is in the Old Testament, you have Jews that are just brothers and they speculate on things. Then you get to Matthew chapter one, and all of a sudden you've got Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and and several different groups, Samaritans, and they're all trying to kill each other. So what in the world happened? Well, it's in something happened in that 400 silent years, and they just call it silent years because it's between the old and the new testaments, and most of the records were missing or corrupted or ignored. And so when you go back to try to figure some of those things out, Uh, the time period, there's very little that still exists until the Dead Sea Scrolls come back. And then they, they tell the story of the Essenes and that time period, how they understood prophecy, how they understood the Messiah. And all of a sudden, it starts making a lot of sense. I mean, you and I would say that Sadducees and Pharisees are basically a cult. If you say you're a Christian, but you don't believe there's a Holy Spirit, there's no life after death, there's something wrong with you. You know, and so it's the same thing with the Jews. The Jews all believe that, but you've got Pharisees and Sadducees that somehow took over. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's a lot of history on how they took over, why they took over, when, who did what, with whom. And then in addition to that, you've got a lot of commentary, a lot of extra biblical information, and a lot of stuff about prophecy. And so that's really the important thing. I think most of us uh, understand the basic gospel. But we want to know more about, you know, I mean, if there was a scroll that told us when the Lord was coming back, that's not supposed to exist. But if there was something like that, I'd want to know about it. Or if they just give us an idea of the general time, or before that, what other things happen. And they do a lot of this stuff, they explain a lot of this stuff. When you look at Paul's theology, and how he interprets the prophecies, you'll see that the scrolls do exactly the same thing. And so it's really amazing just to kind of continue. It's more of a, a "that's what I thought" type thing rather than changing your theology.
0: Thank you. That's very really helpful commentary, and I, I want to just drive some of this home hard, especially for new listeners. Part of why the Dead Sea Scrolls and and what Ken Johnson's describing here, part of why they're so interesting is because we know when they were buried. We don't know everything about, when I say buried, when they were preserved and, and stored and it was a period of time that predates Christ for the most part. And we don't know everything about who put them there. We have some pretty good guesses, but what's very interesting is it's a huge amount of material that gives us a lot of insight into what was happening in that intertestamental period. And the people who were taking this material so seriously were a product of the Old Testament, and they were coming right up on the threshold of of the times that we call the New Testament, specifically the Messianic period of Jesus Christ. So it gives us really good insight into how the Old Testament applies to the next things, specifically the Messiah. Part of the reason why we take the the, the Dead Sea Scroll community and, and those who were there at the time, part of why we take them seriously is they were really dead on accurate about a lot of things. So they speculated quite a few things about the Messiah and what the Messiah would be like. And they were countercultural in a lot of ways. And now in retrospect, we can look back and say, hey, these guys got a lot of things right and it helps us to kind of try to put on those that lens and say how would they have looked at these things how were they understanding these prophecies how does that apply to other prophecies that we're looking at and trying to understand because prophecy is hard it's hard to understand it's complex but it's not impossible and we're not here to try to say oh we we have all the answers we're here to say let's take a a thoughtful and rigorous approach to these things and do the best we can 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 you talk a little bit about how you would respond to somebody that says ken johnson how dare you try to interpret future prophecy don't you know that that's dangerous business and what what do you think the the the, the stars control our destiny or you know all, all these things that get thrown around or how could you know the day or the time and how do you make sure you're not a false prophet by trying to to say, to say these things or speculate about these things. How, how do you answer a Christian who is, for lack of a better term, uh, afraid of approaching these topics and trying to understand what future prophecies hold?
1: I think they have a good um, point, because I have a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances that uh, will argue uh, very seriously on different parts of prophecy, and that's not something we should do. Uh, If you come to church drunk or if you admit you're fornicating or you're murdering people or whatever, that's very clearly taught that we don't associate with you. You're not welcome in the church. Move along or or hopefully repent. So those kind of things are very, very clear. And prophecy seems clear in a lot of places, but sometimes it's not. And So we should never divide over that kind of thing just people that are divisive, that are um, argumentative, that kind of thing you don't want in the church. And that's what Paul means by a heretic, someone who's divisive. So that being said, though, if uh, the Lord wanted to tell you, you shouldn't get drunk all the time, for instance, and we know now, because that would wreck your liver, you probably kill yourself, we don't want to do that. So everything in Scripture is important. And you wouldn't want to leave any one thing out—the morality, the history, anything like that—because it's all important. And so, when we're talked, when we're we're told about prophecy, it's important to understand at least the key ideas to know where we're going, so we we don't have to worry. We know the Lord's in control. Um, that's very important too. Like in Second Peter, when he said, "Well, if there was a flood, and there's a prophecy of a flood and a fire." since you know, the flood occurred, obviously the fire one's going to too. So why shouldn't we prepare ourselves and become holy? So it's really important that we study those things. Uh, I would never go to a church that doesn't teach morality, or, or ignores Genesis or ignores the life of David, for instance, or whatever. And one of the Dead Sea Scrolls actually says that it's a serious sin to ignore prophecy. And that kind of makes sense. If you think about it, if God has told you, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send him right at this point and he's going to die for our sins and start the age of grace and we'll have salvation. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. Well, that's fantastic. That's something we'd want to know. And of course we argue over dates and stuff, but as soon as it happens, then we'll know the exact date, but it's important to understand as much as we can about all those things. We wouldn't want to be willingly ignorant, but, uh, we never want to add to scripture either. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is our 66 books, we want to judge everything by it. And sometimes you'll have, um, uh, well, there's actually a lot of fake works by the same names from the Middle Ages. So we should always be skeptical of anything outside the Bible. But at the same time, when it mentions the book of Enoch, the book of Jasher, the book of Gad, the book of Nathan, things like that, apparently they existed because they're mentioned. So if those still existed, I would want to know about them. And that's kind of an interesting thing too. A lot of people say, well, maybe Jude was simply mentioning Enoch because he liked the book. I mean, we don't know why he mentioned it. And that's kind of the wrong question to ask. Why did he mention it? The correct question is why did the Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible cause Jude to write that? so that we understand there is a book with a prophecy in it by that name. And the only logical reason is that the Holy Spirit wants us to know that it exists. It's not necessary for salvation, you have everything that you need for a basic life of godliness, as Peter says. But if you want to know some more information that might help you might comfort you, then this exists that exists that exists. And I, I understand we don't want to add, you know, 3000 books to the canon, people will just say, Well, there's no way I could ever be saved, because I'm not going to be able to even read 3000 books, you know. So the Bible is exactly the way it's supposed to be no more, no less. But still, there's extra history, extra prophecy, things like that, that we need to know about.
0: Well, and that on a very practical level as well, if we want to understand the bible that we have we need to be able to step into the shoes of the the time the place and the culture to whom it was written because it makes references and it takes for granted that the original audience that was reading you know that the the, res, the recipient of these letters the, the the people to whom jude directly wrote he's making references and taking for granted that they have some familiarity with them and so if i want to understand what he wrote i need to take up the, the the task of becoming similarly familiar with similar material. And guess what? A lot of these things start to make a lot more sense if I know what they're talking about or if I'm familiar with the Old Testament so that when I read the New Testament, it makes sense. Well, it's not. So when we talk about extra biblical books, we're not in any way saying that the Bible is incomplete. What we're saying is if you want to understand the Bible, you you should understand why the Bible references larger cultural issues larger cultural understandings there are other works it's not we're not saying that all those works have to be taken as seriously but if they're referenced I should at least go look them up and say okay what are they talking about and so it's a and and in doing that you'll find that there's a lot of good stuff there are a lot of very committed and and holy people who were doing their best to try to interpret things and I can learn from them so it's a uh, it's it's a little bit of a of a of a spiritual question but also in many ways a very practical question if I want to understand dante might help me to learn a little bit about Italian culture. And if I want to understand the New Testament, I probably need to have a clue about the Jewish culture and times that they were facing and what the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees were and who they were and why they were arguing and why Jesus had the confrontations with him that he had and where it was coming from. And to do that, Dead Sea Scroll material is extremely helpful. Uh, Dan, I know that you have uh, a lot of questions and probably getting specifically into the ancient Dead Sea Scroll calendar material now that we've kind of oriented our listeners to the Dead Sea Scroll topic. uh, Why don't you um, take a minute and and, kind of dive in with Ken here about what you have on your mind when it comes to the particular work that we've all prepared and referenced tonight?
2: Yeah, and, and thanks again, Ken, for joining us. Um so one thing going through this book it get, you go into a lot of detail on how how years are counted and all these different possible formulas for uh, for leap years and uh, how many days in a year, how many weeks, when it starts. Uh, it, it's pretty interesting and, I, and one thing I was thinking as I was reading it is you know if God wanted to, he could have made years easy to count. Right, he could have just made a 364-day year that always lined up exactly and didn't need any leap days, not no leap years, no leap weeks or months, uh, and was just consistent. But he didn't. And uh, do you think? Do you think there's something that he didn't because he was, uh, you know, allowing people to to kind of go through some steps to to figure this stuff out? Or um, I don't know if that question even makes sense.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I think it's partially for us to, to learn. Like the Bible says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to discover a matter. And so I think that's part of it. And the scrolls actually talk about a uh, conspiracy kind of that happens about two to 300 BC, where they change a lot of things. And one of them is changing the calendar. And uh, I I think it's interesting, you know, the Lord could have made it exactly even where it looks good, looks designed. But I think a lot of times he will just leave things to be somewhat random, uh, so that we can look at it and say, Well, okay, people teach evolution and random stuff people teach creation and very specific stuff. And you can like kind of pick and choose. He doesn't want to, you know, create everything. He doesn't want to force everyone to believe, I think. I think it's a lot of the, the, the same kind of thing as a lot of the prophecies and a lot of the other things. Uh, they're, they're a little bit vague. So if you want to understand them, you can. But if you want to scoff, you can do that too.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it the book of Jubilees that actually prophesied that in the end times, the calendar would specifically be corrupted and there would be a shift from solar to lunar? Uh, yes uh, so so the fact that the calendar is corrupted is in itself a fulfillment of of a particular prophecy not a directly biblical but a, a kind of adjacent to biblical prophecy where it said hey part of, one of the challenges at the end times is that the calendar is going to be corrupted and that's going to confuse people and the feasts are going to be at the wrong times or at uh, confusing times and and all those there's there's that's real verifiable history those those things happened uh, Talk a little bit about Ken, just the um, the situation we find ourselves in when we're trying to reconcile the stuff that the Bible says when it's counting about days and weeks and years, and we're looking at our calendar, going, I, I, you know, I don't see a, a month of Nissan anywhere on here. What, what does, what what, what, what does that mean? It just if you can give the the lay of the land of, for a postmodern American Western evangelical Christian, you're saying, okay, I want to take this stuff seriously. What are the very first steps that 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 person's gonna need to understand when they start looking back at trying to understand um, calendars and times that are two, three, 4,000 years old?
1: Okay, well, one thing we have to understand is that um, everything that we do is based in Rome. Well, Greek and Roman, Latin type stuff, but basically the Roman culture. And Rome had a couple of different calendars that we don't know a whole lot about way back when. But in 46 B.C., a guy by the name of Julius Caesar redid the calendar system. And from that time forward, it's the same kind of calendar system that we all use. Today, we call it the Gregorian calendar. And that's just the only difference is because in the Middle Ages, they realized that they'd gotten off uh, a few days per year. So they had to change the leap system. But it's the same system. For whatever reason, he started his new year in the middle of winter which doesn't make any sense. But anyway, so we get January and they, they name it after different things. January was named after Janus, who was the founder, uh, or one of the founders of ancient Rome, later on worshiped as a god. And they go on through the rest of them. Uh, July was named after Julius Caesar and August for Augustus. But most of those uh, were basically numbered. And I think it's interesting. The scrolls tell us that the original calendar was solar, just like this one, and the year starts in the spring. And one of the interesting things is you just kind of look at internal evidence. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but if you look at the last few months of our calendar, it's September, October, November, December. Well, if you look at that, that's sept, which is seven, oct is eight, Nov is nine, des is 10. So if if the year ends at the 10th month, where's month 11 and 12? Well, it's, uh, it's January and February. Okay, if you had an extra day or week or something, a leap something, where would you put it at the end of the calendar? So why don't we put it at, you know, J- uh, January 31st Because that's not the end of the original calendar. It was in March at the spring equinox. So we would put it in February, which is exactly where it's at. So it's really interesting to look at all these little internal evidences to see that the calendar's been changed a little bit. And for modern people, it doesn't really matter. We just go by any calendar as long as we get our paychecks and everything's fine. But if you're talking about prophecy and if the Lord didn't want to make it super complicated, but simply wanted to have a simple calendar system, and it got corrupted somewhere along the line, I would want to know the differences. And basically, there's not a whole lot of differences. And when you look at the calendar system, we can get into that later if you want to. But when you look at it, it's very simple, and very interesting. And you can go through all of the Old and the New Testament, and see places where Moses or Jesus or somebody did something on this date, and three or five days later, something happened. You instantly know the day of the week, how close it was to a festival or a Sabbath, and you go, you'll go, oh, okay, I know what's going on here. You just instantly know stuff, and so when that begins to happen, you begin to realize, hey, I bet they were following that calendar—a little too convenient.
0: Yeah, it, and and not there's a reason why the day is noted in the New Testament documents. So it's so if, what, you know when we talk about these these old writings like the New Testament writing wasn't cheap then anything that's in there is there on purpose it's not like today Mm -hmm. where you can put a zillion words down and it costs you nothing you had to have a scribe you had to have papyrus you had to have ink you had to have education then making copies was difficult so so all these details are intentionally included and in in our english translations we kind of tend to skip over them a little bit because because it we say well that that does i don't know when that is so it doesn't matter well, when you do get oriented to the ancient calendar, then you start seeing, oh, wait, there's a reason why he's calling out the specific day that this is happening. Because it to an ancient Jew, it would have explained to them the context of why these people were where they were, why these events were going on, why they were in this particular city, what festival was probably happening at that time. And it starts to put a, a lot of really fascinating cultural context on it. That I want to go back to what you were talking about with... Just how our calendar is, uh, how our our Roman and Gregorian calendar is a little bit odd because it's been kind of massaged and manipulated, and it it has a lot of uh, Roman ego kind of tied into it, and that's partly why we have months of of seemingly random amounts of days. And but the ancients were primarily looking at the solstices and the equinoxes, and you talk a little bit about this in your book. And it's funny how it, it just becomes really common sense. Where if you go, okay, the spring equinox. That's uh the the fun of it. You know, that's coming up in March, which is just come we're on the doorstep of March as we record this. The I'm sorry, the, the spring the winter solstice is what I'm trying to say, not the spring equinox. The winter solstice is at the shortest time and which is right around Decem- right around Christmas time, and there's a lot of festival around that time. And then you have the equinox, which is when you have equal amounts of daylight and nighttime, and that occurs opposite from each other in March and September. And in between, you have the summer solstice, which is the most daylight. So if you think about the circle of, of time having two points where, the, where there's the longest and the shortest day of year, and they're opposite each other, then directly in between those two, you have the equinoxes where they are equal to each other. And all the ancient calendars kind of tend to revolve around those those seasons and those times that are predictable and recurring and it made sense because you had to orient your life around well at a certain time then we get the shortest day and that seems to happen the same number of days every single time from the last time it happened and then we know that spring is coming and then we have a time where the day and the night are equal and we know that from there it's going to get to the longest day and then from the longest day it's going to go back to the shortest day. And, and so what you have when you look at these ancient cultures is a lot of overlap between when these festivals and when these things happened. Uh, for example, Halloween that we look at, you know, we know Halloween is around a harvest festival type. Well, if you look at it, it's directly between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. And similarly, you look at Easter, which people say, oh, well, Easter is a celebration of Ishtar and these other pagan holidays. Well, it's no accident that there are lots of celebrations that happen at midpoints between equinoxes and solstices or on equinoxes or on solstices like Christmas, for example, is, is right right at the winter solstice. So I know there's a lot more layer and complexity to that, but it really helps a, a Western thinker who's used to thinking January, February, March, or 4th of July being you know the major calendar point to kind of step back and say, no, no, no. How, how would 2000 years ago The whole world was operating on a somewhat similar calendar because everybody was paying attention to the seasons and the times and the sun and and then on top of that you have the moon which is marking its its own patterns on top of the other patterns and they don't always line up. That wasn't specifically a question but I know you cover a lot of that at the beginning of your book to try to orient the the thinker and the, and the reader to what's going on here and what is it we're trying to shift back? What mindset do we have to return to to even understand what we're talking about when we talk about ancient calendars? So if there's anything you want to add or highlight or any interesting fact you want to throw out there, you're welcome
1: to, and then we can uh, move forward. Yeah, I think that's, that's really important to try to get uh, a good understanding of how that stuff developed. We don't know why he chose January, for instance, as the new year or, or some of those things, but our system is, is pretty cool in the sense that we want to try to get the year as accurate as possible. So we have a 365 day year and that with a leap day every four years, basically. And that makes the spring equinox almost always on March 20th. So, I mean, like, we're really pinpointed. Now, the Dead Sea Scroll calendar is a little different. They have a leap week instead of a leap day because it's a little more important for them to mark the Sabbaths accurately rather than the spring equinox. But it's interesting just to kind of see that each one has its own point. And the modern Jewish calendar has a leap month, which is not the most accurate way of doing things if you're wanting to plant potatoes at the right time. you know. But a lot of stuff to think about.
0: Yeah. And and so I encourage you listeners, when you when you read your Bible and you see something that tells you the day and the month, don't just skim over it. Ask yourself, why is that here? Now, that gets really interesting because there are places in Scripture where it tells us the day and the month, like way, way, way back. And one of those is Noah in the story of Noah, which is not very far removed from Adam when you just think about the timeline, it is in terms of years, but not in terms of lifespans, then Noah going all the way back to the ancient flood of Noah in Genesis, there's a lot of extreme specificity around this happened on this day of this month, it relatively in this year. And, and to us, if you don't dig into this, it doesn't mean anything. But when you do understand that, then you start to see how these things are projected forward and actually provide a, a template for a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff that we start seeing in the New Testament, and 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 we can um, we can certainly get to some of that. Can all all this is you know it, it's interesting from a historical perspective, but what is it about the Bible that makes times and dates so fascinating? And and I'm it's a leading question because. We know that the Bible says some very specific things about things that are going to happen in the future or in the future from when they were written. And I'm thinking specifically of Daniel, for example. Daniel actually says, hey guys, in a certain number of days and a certain number of years and a certain number of weeks, then some very, very important thing's gonna happen. And then a certain number of days and years and weeks after that, another very important thing is gonna happen. What do you find when you start to go back and look at these things? First of all, let's just take for granted we have confidence that we know the Bible wasn't written retroactively. We know that Daniel and the book of Daniel and the writings of Daniel predate Jesus Christ, for example. And part of why we know that is because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know they were buried before Jesus Christ, and they have copies of Daniel. And so if we have prophecies of Daniel that were preserved before Jesus Christ— then we can go back and say, okay, what did Daniel say about these times? And what do you find, Ken, when you start going back and trying to understand these things that Daniel said? What, was, he, was he accurate? How, how did these old prophecies hold up when we can actually, on the other side of history, look back and say, were these guys correct or not?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's very important to do that. I mean, just on a secular matter, when you go through Genesis and you, get, and you count up the years and you're told that the, the flood occurred in the 600th year of the life of Noah, on the 17th of day of the second month, uh, that makes it uh, the, the um, 17th of ER 1656 on a calendar. And you can always, every year, you can mark that. And so it's interesting, and, and I love doing this when I come up and say, hey, do you know tomorrow is the anniversary of the flood? You know, And people are, firstly say like, well, how would you know that? It's like, well, we've got it in the scrolls and other things like that. But then all of a sudden it hits them. It's like, well, wait a minute it's if it's an anniversary, it really happened. And of course, we know it happened. But it's just one of those things that it's like, Oh, my gosh, tomorrow, exactly so many years ago, tomorrow, millions of people died. I mean, and it's just it just kind of blows your mind when things like that happen. And you can see all of that kind of stuff with uh, the calendar system. Daniel, though, is a really interesting thing. Because in, in chapter nine, it'll say that uh, from this event, so many days, the Messiah will be cut off. And then there's going to be apparently a gap because there's a destruction of a temple, uh, and then a rebuilding and then a coming back and all sorts of stuff like that. But in that first part, if you find the decrees, there's four decrees. But if you find the decree and you go forward exactly so many days, it comes out to be April 6, uh, 32 AD. And uh, a lot of people have talked about this. It's uh, been written about by Sir Robert Anderson, uh, Chuck Misler, several other guys. And one of the complaints about that is that that doesn't fall on Passover. In other words, it doesn't fall on the new moon. And so there's something amiss here. And all the guys like Misler and everybody, they basically said, well, one plus one is two. Somehow that was the right date. I don't know. And so they just kind of left it. Well, when you get into the Dead Sea Scroll calendar and you realize it's lunar, I mean, it's solar rather than lunar, rather, uh, that year, if you calculate it out, the 6th of April was Passover, it was the 14th of Nisan. If you're not going by the lunar calendar, it actually is to the day. And so it's really interesting. I had a friend that uh, actually kind of lost faith because he was taught that's a prophecy. Went back and looked at it and said, "That's not even on a full moon. There's no way it's right," you know. And so he started yeah. wondering about all that stuff. So let let me let me go back and and
0: uh, so every, you just said some really 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 important stuff. And there are some people in our audience who are smiling and nodding along, and there are other people who are going, "Wait, what?" So uh, l- let me just run back through this uh, slightly differently to try to make sure everybody's keeping up with what you just said. So you're saying that. Um, daniel who who predated christ by hundreds and hundreds of years he's saying in a certain number of days then the messiah will die so there's that statement first of all and then so we we're going to have to speak to the people who've said i've read the book of daniel and i didn't i didn't quite see that and then you're saying well we can take that and we can get to april 6th and they're going i've read my bible it doesn't say april anywhere in there and so you know, we, we've kind of spoken to that going, okay, well, we have to adjust to know when Daniel said what he said, and then we have to convert it to our calendar. It's, days are the same. Days are days either way. And we can count forward a number of days and say, okay, from the year that we know he said what he said, and we'll talk about how we know when that happened, we can project forward and say, okay, then the fulfillment of his prophecy must have happened on this day in this year, and we convert that to our calendar and say, okay, it's April 6th. When we do that, what you're saying is, well, there's a problem because modern people like Chuck Missler, who who is known to our audience, we've talked about him before, will say, Uh, it doesn't work. I don't see a Passover on that day. And we know Jesus. So if we're talking about if Daniel's saying that the Messiah dies on this day, and then I'm taking that day and I'm going forward and I'm going, well, it can't be because there's no Passover. And we know that Jesus died on the Passover. Something's wrong. But what what you just said and what our audience needs to understand is the reason why it's wrong is because the Jews or or, uh, the modern Jewish calendar, I'm trying to speak very carefully here. The modern Jewish calendar is not quite the same as the original Jewish calendar. So the original Jewish calendar was a solar calendar and the current Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. So the way they're counting Passovers is a little bit different. And if you don't reconcile for that, then you're gonna get the the conundrum that Chuck Missler and others ran into going, is Daniel wrong or is the Messiah's death wrong? When the correct answer as you're saying is neither, they're both exactly right. You just gotta be looking at the correct calendar. Right Now, can you speak to the process of reading the book of Daniel? And, and we don't have to go, it's in the book, so you don't have to go into great detail. But when somebody reads the book of Daniel, how do they go from what is on the page in their English translation to April 6th? Because Daniel talks about... Uh, weeks and months and years and, and what, somehow we got to get from there to a specific day hundreds of years later in a given year and say, okay, then this thing happened. And by the way, it happened to line up with the Jewish festival and we have to reconcile with the calendar. So there's some steps in there. And mm-hmm. part of what I want to get to is if you read Ken Johnson's book, The Ancient Dead Sea Scroll Calendar, He'll show you the process, listeners, of, of how you can do this, too. It's not hard math. There's no wizardry involved. But just give people a sense of the kinds of things that, that you have to do when you have your Bible open and your computer and your calculator and your calendar. Just say, There's no sorcery. What, what what do you have to do?
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty easy. It's in Daniel chapter 9, and he basically is praying for repentance. And the angel comes to him and says, okay, here's a prophecy I'm giving you, there's going to be 70 weeks of years. And that's the way it says it in the King James. And a week of years on the calendar system, they have a year, which is a year like we know it, and then seven years is called a Shemitah, a seven year period, kind of like we have a decade of 10 years. And there's 10 decades in a century. And those are marks, they have seven Shemitahs or seven years, which is 49 years and then a Jubilee year, and that's a Jubilee period. So there's two Jubilees in a century. And so he's basically saying, there's gonna be an event where this happens. And from that time, if you start, start counting, there will be 70 weeks of years. So something will happen, you know, so many years into it and so many years into it, and then the Messiah is gonna be cut off. So that's 69 weeks of that 70 year period. So if you understand that, that's 490 years total, minus a seven-year period, that's uh, um, 483 years. And so understanding their years might be different than ours, the easiest way to do it is just to convert that into days. And I forget the number, but it's like 200 and some thousand days. So the main part is you just need to find out when the decree came forth. And that's recorded over in Nehemiah chapter 2, when Artaxerxes gave the decree. And so if you start from there and you just go forward, if you want to put it on our system, you got to have leap years, you know, the way we do it. And of course, going from AD to BC, there's an extra year and, you know, you got to take that into consideration, but it comes out to be April 6th, uh, 32 AD, which is really interesting because there's a different Dead Sea Scroll that actually gives that same date also. But um, it's, that's basically how it's done. We, it's just really simple. There's a date given, and there's supposed to be so many days, and then another event occurs.
0: So you're saying that you can, that in anybody who who understands these relatively basic Jewish calendar principles, can look at the book of something like the book of Daniel, where he says what he says, look forward uh, four hundred years, and say, oh, he called the exact day on which Jesus died. And we can actually see that it lined up with, with the Passover and the prophecy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. If you, if you ever noticed back in Exodus chapter 12, which is the story of the Exodus, it says that it happened 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham and it was fulfilled to the day. So it was exactly 430 years that day when God led them out of Egypt. And so God is really specific. I'm not saying all prophecies are like that, but there are a lot of prophecies like that that are to the day. And so that's another reason why you you want to be careful setting a date. But at the same time we would like to know what is today, for instance, you know, and where those things went, how those worked. So it's just faith building.
0: So as I read through your book, you do this over and over and there's no equivocating or, or um, you know, me, mealy mouth gymnastics around, well, you know, this one doesn't work because they just work. You can, mm-hmm. you do the math and you do the math the same way every time. And you keep coming up with the right answers, especially in Daniel's case, to the day. And for anybody who, who's yawning, what what we're saying is that the Bible predicts major historical events in many cases to the day and they're verifiable with history because we can go back and say, okay, it was in the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, do we know when King Nebuchadnezzar lived? Yes, we do. Do we can we verify that outside of Scripture? Yes, we can. Can we can we line this up with secular history? And the answer is yes, it's it's correct. So for you know, say say what you want about scripture, but that guy Daniel knew his stuff, and he was right, and he foretold the future very, very accurately. And That raises all kinds of questions, which we we don't have to get into immediately. I know Dan has another question. I want to pass the mic to him in just a moment here, but um, it raises a lot of questions. Like, well, how could how, you know how how could the Jews who followed all this how could they miss the Messiah then? And there's a lot of speculation around that, and it's it's a it's a tough topic because it raises all kinds of difficult things. But this is how. This is the importance of being able to understand the calendar when you read the Bible, because it, 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 it brings into high relief the overarching reality of the narrative of what God is doing. Because you just went across multiple authors, across multiple generations, over a 400 year time gap of, of dead air and into the New Testament and connected it all to the day using only the words on the page of scripture and making a few basic calendar conversions, and it works. And that just, that can't happen by chance. And you, and if it did, you wouldn't be able to repeat it with similar passages, but you can. And it's not, a, again, it's not a, a magic Ken Johnson trick. It's just you. once you have the right material and look at it correctly, then it lines up and it works.
1: Yeah, you could come up with an excuse as to why that would work, or maybe even two sets. But there's actually three sets of data in there you, you have the same thing of when the Messiah is supposed to come and die, which is 32 AD, you have when Israel is supposed to come back the second time, that was supposed to be on May 14 1948. And then they were supposed to take the temple back and on June 7 1967 those three dates are in there we use the exact same type of formula and they come out to the day and so it's interesting to me i I don't think anybody could come up with some sort of convoluted percentage type math to get six dates to match perfectly well especially over
0: over literally two thousand years in some cases it's it's not he's not saying oh this is going to happen next thursday he's going to say in 1965 A.D. You know, a, a day that that you know that our listeners, you know, that that your parents remember. In some cases, you personally remember. It's that the, these Daniel prophecies were fulfilled to the day. And you would think that would be a bigger deal. You you would think this would be you know people would be uh, everybody would just look at that and say, well, then the Bible must be true. And and that is the correct conclusion is, is to at least say, well, it must be taken very very seriously. Yet somehow people go to great lengths to try to explain that it doesn't say what it says when in reality. It does say what it says and it's correct and it's not correct once from that same passage it's correct three different times for three different events that we can verify in some cases in the relatively recent past dan i, I want to let you jump in with your questions and then ken maybe we can orient to talking about uh some things about the future because that that's where uh this gets awfully relevant for some of us
2: yeah and and if and if you're listening and trying to figure out this calendar formula. Uh, Ken actually has a very handy website where you can go in and type in dates and, and see the calendars on all these different dates. So we'll share that with you also. Um, one interesting thing you you talked about in the book with, with these different um, dates is you talk about a section where uh, there's all these quotes of these different rabbis that are putting curses on people who try to figure out the date of the Messiah because if they did it would point directly at jesus and so they're like well don't you know you don't need to go look at the dates in daniel because you know there must be something wrong with it because you know it's, it's only jesus if if you do that um is, is there other examples of, of things like that like arguments you hear of from people of why this stuff shouldn't work or why it
1: should be ignored? I think it's mainly from from religious groups that are not Christian, or maybe Christian denominations that uh, it's going to change something. You know, for instance, I had a friend who was a Presbyterian. That uh, of course they're they're Calvinists, but they're also, or at least his group anyway, <clears throat> was uh millennial. So Israel can't have anything to do with anything. So I showed him this this particular passage, and it's like. Well, be that as it may, here's a date so many days later, Israel's supposed to come. That's when it happened. And there's multiple prophecies of Israel coming back. And they say, well, that's, you know, us or it's symbolic. Yeah, but the dates, Mm -hmm. there's a group of people that call themselves Jews that on May 14th, 1948, create in the single day, a state called Israel. Or my guess was going to be Judah, but it became Israel, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what do you do with that? And he actually said, that would mean our theology is wrong and we're not going there. It has to be a coincidence. And that was it. Well, I'm like, yeah. okay, well, it's, you know, I'm not saying he's not saved or anything. It's just, <laughs> no. if my theology is wrong, we should change. I think that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Paul is writing to the Jews that are in the temple at that time. Basically saying, you guys knew what the Pharisees taught and the Sadducees and the Essenes and all the different groups, and you picked one, one denomination that seemed logical. That's understandable. But when the Messiah shows up and he does the things taught by one denomination and not by the others, and you're part of one of those, apparently you're wrong. Convert. Not a big deal. You took a guess. You were wrong. Just convert. To say, I don't know, I mean, you were there, he healed blind people, some of them were in your family, some of your family actually was raised from the dead, and you're going to reject that because it doesn't fit what you want it to be. You know, and he even gave them a warning. If that's true, the rest of the prophecies are coming to pass. So within 15 years, there won't even be a temple. You better make a decision and you better make one now. And so it's pretty interesting to kind of see all that. The whole idea of Paul is like, no, prophecy is rock solid. Yeah. If the powers that be have decreed, I'm going to do something, and ain't anybody going to stop me. That's, that's going to happen then. So there's a lot of things like that, I think that are interesting. But yeah, there's, uh, I, you know, I could be off on dates, I could be off on my understanding of when certain, you know, battles are going to take place but I just want to try to figure them out. Obviously, they're going to take place. And I could see you being, you know, thinking that the church has replaced Israel, and Israel has absolutely nothing to do with anything, at least up until 1948. Then it's just like, but they're there. You know, I've got, I've got uh, people that have said that, you know, the Jews over there now are not the real Jews, they're refugees from a Khazarite kingdom, and you know, all these other different things anti-Semitic stuff. And it's like, well, bottom line is the real Jews were supposed to go over there on May 14th, 1948. So whoever went over there calling themselves Jews and did that on that date must be the real Jews. I mean, that's what scripture says. Bottom line is they're in Jerusalem and I'm in...
0: I'm in Colorado, so one of them is is the one that fulfilled the prophecy. You know to just and and I, I like the humility of that, Ken, because I, I think w- we as humans, and and I'm including myself in this. we we have great capacity to turn blind eyes to things. And it's it's not new. Every generation does it. And sometimes looking back in retrospect, like how how could I have refused to see this? And it's because we have we have systems and paradigms that we're very comfortable with and we don't like to change them. And and even when they are obviously wrong, we don't like to change them. Every year I go in a rant on daylight savings, like, why are we still Doing this, you know, and that's going to come up for you know the the worst the worst end of that is about to happen. And a, another one that um, I don't know if you want to comment on, but Dan and I have talked about this one a little bit is people hold very very dearly the idea of of Good Friday and the traditional uh, Easter week, and and we're coming up on that, and millions of churches, including the one that I'm in, are going to celebrate it, and we're going to f- follow some of those things. But in the back of my mind, I'm going Friday to Sunday morning is not three days and three nights Mm -hmm. and there and, and i know that with some of the work that you've done there there are things that make a lot more sense but to do that you have to be willing to zoom out put everything on the table look at what the calendars say adjust the calendars understand the feasts and the orders that they worked in understand how the sabbaths worked and the funny thing is if you do that it all lines up and you get three days and three nights and you don't have mm-hmm. to try and explain to everybody why there are three nights between Friday and Sunday and, and say, well, the Jews counted funny and all that. So if, if you have anything to say on that, we're coming up on Easter. Uh, feel free. If it's a If it's a can of worms that has caused you only grief in the past, then feel free to say no comment. It's up to you.
1: Oh, not at all. No, that's one of the things. You know, how did we get December 25th for Christmas? How do we get three days and three nights inside of two days? Uh, It's just misunderstandings of the calendar. It's not that anyone's wrong. They're just looking at it differently. So with that, for instance, there's a weekly Sabbath and then there's a high Sabbath. A high Sabbath is any kind of a festival. So when you're talking about preparation day for the Passover is the 14th of Nisan, the 15th is a high Sabbath. So, So during a week, that particular week, you're going to have a high Sabbath and a low Sabbath. So if somebody says on the Sabbath, I'm going to do something. Okay, which one we got two of them this week. So you've got to look at that. So it basically says that Jesus went out, had the Passover dinner on an evening, and then was arrested, went to Mount of Olives, got arrested, was put on the cross the next morning, died. And then before that evening, which is supposed to be the high Sabbath, it says that so that'd be the 15th of Nisan, he was put in an airtight tomb. And then the prophecy says three days and three nights. Well, on the Dead Sea Scroll calendar, one of the nice things about it is New Year's is always on a Wednesday. And, and with a 364 day calendar, every the year repeats always the same. So Passover is always on a Tuesday, uh, the 14th of Nisan. So basically, and of course, it starts in the evenings. So at dusk on Tuesday, uh, he had his Passover dinner. Wednesday morning, he was crucified. And that's still the 14th. The 15th starts Wednesday night. So he's put in an airtight tomb before dusk. So then you've got the three days and the three nights are Wednesday night and Thursday, Thursday night and Friday, Friday night, and Saturday. So he resurrects sometime after dusk or sundown on Saturday night. And the text in the scripture says the the women went to the tomb early, like at sunrise on Sunday morning, and it was he was already gone so it fits perfectly with scripture you know i can't prove that it is or it isn't but that's their calendar and that's the prophecy and again it, it fits really well just like daniel
0: and then you don't have to do a bunch of gymnastics trying to explain to somebody how um you know friday saturday is actually three days and three nights because it's not. And so I, I think that's just an example of, hey, we're, we're not trying to start an argument. We're not trying to tell people that you're a heretic for celebrating Good Friday. It's more just, we, we we misunderstood the calendars and partly with the help of the Dead Sea Scroll material, which is relatively recent, by the way, a lot of this material is post-World War II. And, and by the time it's, well, it's all post-World War II, but then by the time it gets dug up, translated, analyzed, restored, and into the public's hands, It's going to be a little while. And so, as we are looking at and understanding these things, and as you're kind of reconstructing what this original calendar would have been and reconciling it with scripture, we're going, we're getting a lot of light bulb moments. And the fact that a tradition from several hundred years ago would be off on those means okay, well, we have a really old tradition that is not quite right but it doesn't mean that uh you know we, we don't have to start a new denomination over it and i th- think that's kind of what you're saying but to me the, those sorts of things are really really helpful because you go oh all right that that actually makes more sense that there if you recognize there are two sabbaths in the week of passover then you don't have to do any gymnastics and by the way the jews to whom the gospel was written all would have known that because that was their culture so when you have you know the gospel of matthew matthew doesn't have to explain to them now everybody understand there were two sabbaths because they all knew that. Of course there were two Sabbaths. It, it, they, 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 they celebrated it every single year. They understood that there's a high Sabbath and a low Sabbath. And so when he said this happened on the Sabbath and then this happened on the other Sabbath, they all could have easily followed, oh, that would have been three days later. Whereas we're going, wait a second, how did you get three days into one into one or two days? And, and it's just because we, we don't, and this goes back to the importance of understanding the context and the culture and understanding the material around the context and the culture so that when we read our Bible, it makes sense instead of looking like a fool. And and I I say that, you know, lovingly and gently looking like a fool, trying to explain to somebody who's who's saying, well, should I believe the Bible or not? Trying to explain to them that Friday to Sunday is three days
2: and three nights. So another fascinating section in your book is the one all all about festivals. And, uh, you know, this is one of those sections of the book that I highly recommend people go go read and, and think through uh, the way that all these festivals point so clearly to Christ and the things that he did on these specific festivals like the festival of new wine and and how that's the time that Jesus turned water into wine and it was a, a big marriage festival and and symbolizing Jesus and and you know, the church being the bride of Christ and all that stuff. And um, the, the festival, the, the first fruits of the barley harvest, and you have Jesus as the first fruits. Uh, is there any any of those, do, do, do you try to personally do anything to celebrate or mark any of those festivals or? I don't
1: myself. Um, I occasionally will go to a messianic synagogue and, and look at the ritual, especially the one they do on Yom, or Yom Kippur fascinating ritual, the way they repent is, is just really amazing. We all have sin in our lives, we all need to repent. And it's it's just really cool. But in, in that it's it's interesting, because uh, I always had been taught that uh, there's 50 days between first uh, first fruits of the barley harvest, which is the, the week of Passover, and Pentecost, and Pentecost, meaning 50 days, or penta, and then uh, that's all. And according to the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's actually four f- uh, first fruit festivals and they're all separated by 50 days. So you've got first fruits of the barley, you've got Pentecost, you got new wine and new oil, and then you have the high holy days. And they all have some sort of prophetic significance. That's easy for us to tell Passover because if you look at the Passover Seder ritual, you can see Messiah all over that, the death, the burial, the resurrection, all that kind of stuff. So I would love to someday dig up the rituals they did on the others, and then I think we would just instantly know a lot of stuff. But uh, one of the things I think is neat is um, uh, new wine. Uh, there's a there's a place in Joshua that talks about the fact that they had this tradition. You can't get married without your parents' permission, period. Except on one day of the year, there is an exception. I mean, like if you're uh, your parents aren't around; they're missing. Uh, your, you know, whatever the case may be, and you could actually get married. You could consent, and so that became a tradition. Of a lot of people got married on that day, and so it's it's interesting that the traditions came together, and that's on the third of Av, according to uh, the the um, the old texts. And so when we get to John chapter two, it's interesting that Jesus was going to a wedding in Cana. And it mentions in, in the first couple of verses, it was on the third day of the month, you know, and we were talking before about that just seems like, eh, whatever, but it's very specific. And you and I would look at it and say, well, it would have been nice if they would have said the third of what month? That doesn't tell me anything. Well, yeah, it does. The third of the month and it was a wedding. It's new wine. It's the third of Av. Everybody would know that. And I bet you he will do something with wine because it's the festival of new wine. And what did he do? He changed the water to wine. I don't know the full ramification of that, but I'm sure they did. And it's just interesting to see all those kind of things. Again, the little things in scripture that date just tells us exactly what it was.
2: Yeah, another really interesting one was you go into the covenants that happened on Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you, you wanna talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, there's, there's several traditions about it and a few scrolls that talk about some of them. Uh, we know that on Pentecost, uh, we received the Holy Spirit. The church was born. That's recorded in Acts 2. But there are other documents that talk about uh, Adam was given a covenant on Pentecost or what would become Pentecost. Uh, Noah had a covenant. That's the Noahide laws. We see that in, in Genesis 9. We're not told that was a Pentecost, but that's the event. And then uh, the, the covenant with Abraham and the covenant to make the the age of grace according to the scrolls and the interesting thing about it they said that's basically when covenants change they had a a a ritual basically or a tradition that every pentecost you would go forward and rededicate yourself to the lord you know not that you sinned or anything necessarily but this is pentecost now so i've done whatever i've done throughout the year i wonder if the lord would want me to start a podcast ministry you know or go to a certain church or maybe he wants me to do something different what would the lord have me do this year how can i and you kind of rededicate yourself and i just thought that was fascinating but they went on and they speculated that the ritual that like the seder and stuff would change when uh, messiah starts the age of grace and they talked about when he comes back to start the kingdom the rituals would change again because they're they're tweaked for each age so it's really fascinating uh, to kind of see that type of stuff. And one thing in Daniel chapter twelve, it talks about the the twelve hundred and ninety days or the twelve hundred and sixty days, and then there's twelve hundred ninety. And blessed is he who makes it to the thirteen thirty five. Well, in the text, it's pretty obvious you're talking about festival to festival. It's not just a date. It's it's a moedim to a moedim. And so the problem is again on the modern Jewish calendar. There's no festivals that are exactly, no matter how you do it, 1,335 days apart. They just don't fit. But they do on the Dead Sea Scroll calendar. And it comes out to be another Pentecost. And so it makes sense that he's saying, now, blessed are you, if you, if you didn't go in the rapture and you happen to make it through and didn't die, then if you can make it to the next Pentecost after the second coming, you can actually enter the age of the kingdom it'll be the first, you know, ceremony like that. It's just really interesting, all those things kind of come together. Now you may or may not be able to set a date on that, because it's just telling at the end of an event. But still, it gives us a lot more detail on those uh, type of things. Ken, can let's
0: pivot a little bit to because you've hinted at some things, but I want to pivot to talking about the future. And again, disclaimer, 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 we're not saying um, can tell us when the Messiah is going to return, but I do think your commentary on the, the things we should be paying attention to, why there might be some particular interest around this time in this generation. Uh, I, th- I think some things about, uh, you know, a thousand years are like a day, a day is like a thousand years. Where are we, if we look at what the early church fathers, and I know you have a great deal of expertise around the early church fathers, and I have your early church fathers book on my shelf here, uh, kind of what they expected when they looked forward to the end times, um. So whatever direction you want to go and ex- explore the space, it's okay to speculate. Nobody's going to hold this over your head and say Ken Johnson said, and you know, we're not we're not trying to get you to f- to form any doctrine here. But I do think it'd be really helpful for people to say, okay, this is all very interesting, but I I'm not I can't go run all these numbers. Ken, you've run the numbers. What what have you learned, and what should we be paying attention to so that our audience can walk away with something to hang their hat on in terms of. Um, what's what's happening? What's going on out there? And and why? Why is the calendar very important right now?
1: Well, I think it's in several reasons. Number one, they teach that everything goes in cycles. And the the ages are 2000 years apiece. And at the end of each age, there's always some sort of major apostasy, antichrist figure, like at the end of the first age, we've got Abraham, and you've got Nimrod and the weird religion he created. So, the so, end so, just of the second just, to, age.
0: just to clarify, okay. what what you're saying is from from Adam. So, so the early church fathers and, and and the ancient commentators, the 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 cycle of humankind is in ages, and those ages are roughly two thousand year ages. And what you're saying is, at the ends of these ages, and by the way, Jesus uses that kind of terminology. He talks about the age and the end of the age, and he says these things. We're, we're not necessarily trying to read backwards into it, but this this is terminology that's that's known. What you're saying is. In 2,000 year cycles, we can mark these ages and these transitions. We're not trying to mark it to the day or the hour, but we're trying to say, you know, around 2,000 years from Adam, you had a major apostasy. And that marked the end of that age and the beginning of the next age. So I, I'm just trying to orient our listeners to what are we talking about on the scale of humankind? And why are we talking about 2000 year cycles? So c- continue. Sorry for the interruption. I just, I just oh, don't want to lose problem. anybody as we go.
1: Yeah. So it's the same thing at the end of the second age, about 2000 years later, you have the apostasy of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all that stuff that happened. They actually rejected their Messiah. And then the prophecies took place about the destruction of the temple, the dispersion of Israel, and so then you have another two thousand years. Israel's is supposed to come back. There's supposed to be an antichrist, a temple, you know, things like that. And so, and then the the last age is actually only a thousand years. They call it the kingdom age. So that there's the age of creation, the age of Torah, the age of grace, and the kingdom age. That's what the scrolls call them. And in the Bible we call that a, a millennial reign mentioned in in Revelation. But in those things, they talked about most of the prophecies happen around the changing of the ages. So for instance, in in the last 2000 years, we probably haven't only had a handful of prophecies throughout all those centuries. And in the last 100, 150 years, we've had probably over 50 of them. I mean, Israel comes back, comes back at the right time. To the right place, renames it the right the country, the right name, uh, revives the Hebrew language. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. All those were prophesied. It
0: gains control of the temple site, and, and these yeah. aren't all on the same day. I mean, these are spread out over generation ish.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's the thing with the first coming of the Messiah. Jesus was born. These are major prophecies, but he was born in two BC. If we have our dates right, uh, died in thirty two AD. The church age began in thirty two AD. The Jerusalem temple was destroyed in 70. The Essene temple was shut down in 73. 75 was the end of the age. And that was actually the Bar Kokhba, no, the, Bar Kokhba, the uh, Council of Yavne, uh, which kind of ended it. But then there's a group of people that kept trying to bring it back, reestablish Israel, up until the Bar Kokhba rebellion of 135. So you have about a 150 year period. It's not just like one day when everything happens. Lots yeah. of prophecies happen, but it's at the end of the age. Well, and so the, ages, we have the same thing. Great.
0: They they do seem to kind of come around certain climactic events, but what you have is is this build up, and then often sort of a fallout to it. There, there's transition periods on on either side, and you talk a little bit about them in the book. So when we talk about the end of the age, we're not saying oh, the end of the age is you know, the year 2039, it's no, we're we're approaching a transition. And you have an acceleration of prophecy and key events that tend to happen during the approach to that transition. And then you have prophecies and events that follow that transition. And then you have the, the big fat middle of the age, and then you have whatever happens at the end of the next age. And, and one of the things you're saying is there tends to be an apostasy. Uh, an and apostasy, by the way, for for you listeners, means um, a rebellion against God, a, a falling away, some some sort of of mass upheaval against the Almighty in, in one sense or another. So, and, and if you want to add to that, Ken, you're welcome to, but I just want to make sure people are following along. So you're saying that from your reading of the Dead Sea Scroll calendar, which is the, the as we as best as we can term it the most accurate understanding of the ancient calendar, which is a calendar that we should follow biblical prophecy by, because that's how we can reconcile it most accurately to today's dates, then we should be expecting to be seeing an apostasy and the fulfillment of some of these prophecies, some of which you've noted have been fulfilled, and it seems like we're building up into something. And if the cycles are consistent, then we're we're starting to kind of run out of time on this cycle and probably be coming up on the next cycle.
1: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lot like the um, the seven festivals. We definitely see Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on Passover. We know from scriptures that he died on Passover. Uh, Pentecost was the birth of the church. So we would assume there's nothing that says this in scripture, but we would assume then that the fall festivals would be the actual dates on whatever it is that they teach and the rituals to happen. Second coming, you know, Yom Kippur goat, things like that. So it just makes sense. And we're we're seeing the same thing in these kind of patterns too. So for instance, there's a lot of early church fathers that taught the second coming would be in the year 6,000 which makes sense 2000 years after the first coming. And they teach the same thing in the scrolls, the two, the two different ideas. And we look at the patterns, and the end of the ages, the first the end of the last age, was 75 AD, the end of our age, according to their calendars, so 2075. So by that time, everything should take place, if that's accurate. And one of the things that I think is interesting, is we've had all these other prophecies take place. Uh, recently, like the ones we've talked about. And there's actually, in addition to the Dead Sea Scroll calendar documents, there's one document, it's my favorite Dead Sea Scroll. It's 11 q 13. It's called the Melchizedek document. And it actually says that Melchizedek is the priest that, that takes care of us. He's actually God incarnate. And he comes to pay the penalty for our iniquity. And it gives us a whole bunch of other stuff. And when he does this, it actually starts the age of grace. So give or take even a decade or so, but it's at that time period. But it's interesting, it says that he the event that takes place where he takes away our iniquity, what happens one Shemitah after the end of the ninth Jubilee of their ona, which is the end of their age. So if you plug that into the calendar, 75 AD minus 50 years is 25 AD. So that's the beginning of the ninth Jubilee and then one Shemitah or 7 years into that so 25 plus 7 is 32 so according to that document the messiah comes to die for our sins in 32 AD so you have so another again, it's one of those other things and I, I you know we it could be 31 32 33 something like that it, that's not really important but the fact that they had an actual understanding of god manifesting in flesh dying for our sins had the date, right? Maybe they got it by calculating Daniel, you know, who knows, but they had it right, though. And so all these other extra biblical prophecies and concepts, and they have lots of commentaries on the dead on the uh, minor prophets, about the end of their age, and some of them with the end of our age. So there's a lot of prophecy in there.
0: So what what you just described is uh, basically they, they, they triangulated the death of the Messiah, to the same time that Daniel also predicted the death as the Messiah. And with the benefit of retrospect, we can look back and say, and they were accurate. And it, and they're using it based on counting these large, I'm using the word secular from the from the Latin term meaning long period of time, like sayculum, from from these, these large secular time cycles that are that are happening. And they're saying they're actually indexing these major events to these transitions between ages. And uh, and in this case, they're refer- making the uh, the Melchizedek reference, which is a a really interesting, very pregnant reference, and is also referenced in um, in the Book of Hebrews. And if it, again, if you if you were from this culture, that reference probably carries a lot more weight because there because there were there was commentary around specifically Melchizedek and then of course you have the uh, the the Genesis accounts of those as well and that may have resulted in and I don't know if you want to comment on this but there's there's some speculation that that resulted in the actual uh, potential corrupting of some of the Masoretic texts specifically to try to make dates not line up with respect to uh, to Melchizedek um, and if you want to go into that, you can. If you don't want to, that's that's fine, too. I want to get back to something that people are, I know a lot of people are going, wait, 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 go back. You said something about 2075. What are we saying about 2075? And, and just talk about what what are you saying about 2075? What are you not saying about 2075? And what should, it, and let's just say, okay, hypothetically, let's say that we're dead on with 2075 being at a really, really important year go back and review why is it important and what should we be expecting to see and then when it comes to biblical prophecy what does that mean we should be anticipating between now and 2075 for sake of argument
1: yeah that's a very important thing because um even if we wanted to set dates and we were pretty sure about them we really can't for several reasons but basically uh, if their calendar is correct or whether it is or not their calendar has the year 6000 being 2075. The year 4000 was the end of that other age, and that was 75. And it was about 40 years after the Messiah was put to death, according to other texts. And so what's interesting about that is, is by that time, all the prophecies, or most of the prophecies, should be taken, uh, should have occurred. And so just like if you look at the, the time when Jesus was here, the first coming, If 75 was the end of that age, you still have his birth, 32 years later his death, about 40 years later destruction of the temple, shutting down of the other temple, then the end of the age, and then some 45 years later, or actually more than that, the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, and then finally the disillusion completely of Israel. So you've got a whole lot of prophecies before, during, and after the end of the age, but they're all. As a group connected closely within a hundred years or so of that whole time period, so we're going to have the same kind of thing again if the cycles are correct. And sure enough, we have 1948. The Jews came back. 67, they took back the Temple Mount. Uh, 1960, or I mean 19 um, or 2016, they started the practice sacrifices. Uh, I think it was 2004 or somewhere around in there. The Sanhedrin was reconvened. So there's lots of these little bitty things that are continuing to happen. Those are not necessarily prophecies, but they're going toward uh, what we see, is, which is prophesied. Are and you so familiar the with concept...
0: the... Sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to jump on top of you. Are you familiar with the uh, the the red heifer and some of the interesting stuff that's going on with that right now?
1: Yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, the concept is that you have to have the ashes of the red heifer to make something ceremonially holy according to their law. And that has to be done before they can actually start, maybe they could rebuild the temple, but they couldn't use it until it's cleansed. And so that whole concept is they need the ashes of the red heifer, Uh, the sacrifice has to be done very specifically according to the text. And so they need pure red heifers without any blemishes, not any white or black hairs. So they're working on getting that that has to be between a certain age. And so they really need a herd of these things so that when it's ready, they can have one or two of them they actually could sacrifice. The fact that they're doing that and they're almost there is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there, there's a, a podcast we reference from time to time that's a lot of fun called Blurry Creatures. And they just had an interview with a guy who's deeply involved in this Red Heifer process and um, to hear him tell it. And I know I'm mentioning this because a bunch of our listeners I know are familiar with this and they're probably going, Red Heifer, where did I hear that? And, well, you heard it on Blurry Creatures if you're following their podcast, because uh, this person who's very deeply familiar with this is uh, has a lot of inside information that this is happening like now meaning like like potentially this Passover or within a handful of months of this Passover that the red heifers identified and down to the the uh, uh, down to the the herd and and all these sorts of things which is really exciting if, if that's the case that's really exciting and it's right along the lines of of what Ken is sharing with us listeners is that you have this buildup that this acceleration of important, prophetic and ceremonial necessity that all comes together because it's pointing to a transition. So continue with uh, the the commentary of, let's just say hypothetically that 2075 is the end of the age. You made a comment before that, okay, well, then that means a lot of prophecy that we see in scripture has to take place between now and then. What are we talking about? Uh, what, is, what does that um, mean to yeah, people who read have- their Bibles?
1: we have the second coming, we have the tribulation period, we have the Antichrist, we have the rebuilding of a temple. uh, And then we have the Gog Magog war, we have uh, the Psalm 83 war, uh, this destruction of Damascus, the war with Israel and Iran. And um, there are several other wars that are prophesied, the taking of southern Lebanon, where Zephaniah and Obadiah actually gives us the new borders of what it would be after the war. Uh, the destruction of Hamas, Hamas is actually named in, in the scriptures as being a government structure that is uh, hostile to Israel uh, from the area of Gath of the Philistines in our particular ona, uh, which is, you know, Gaza Strip. So it's the fact that there kind is of a in, big deal right now. Some of those yeah, sound like yeah. they're
2: really close. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some, some of, of these, those I think are these going Some of those are in the right news now. right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a
1: lot of specifics that are going to happen right after the Hamas war, or maybe not right after. I, I'm guessing again which one is in which order. Don't know, but there's like five or six prophecies that are that are kind of major. If they're all together, then you know the rapture might be around the corner. Uh, if they're going to be spread out, then you know. But there's still a lot of other prophecies. Uh, the coming together of the ten nations. Now that could be during the tribulation period, but it could actually be before. So there's a lot of things to consider, and we have a lot of the scrolls that give us more clues than just Daniel and Revelation. And again, like normal, they're just clues, but we can probably figure it out based on where we're at now in history, what's already happened, and then the other scrolls. And so we're not trying to set any particular dates. I mean, everybody wants us to say, well, obviously, 2075 is the second coming, seven years before that's the start of the tribulation period and the rapture. Well, it could be. Uh, but it could also be that the year 6000 is the dedication of the new millennial temple. And if we are if the Lord doesn't just do that and make one, if we have to build it, it might take 20 or 30 years. So maybe the second coming is 20 or 30 years earlier than that, like in 2020, thousand twenty. We're well not 20, but 2030 or something like that. So we don't know, you can't really set a date. And even if you could set a date for the tribulation and the second coming, you just know the rapture is sometime before that. So you still couldn't set a date for that one. Some things you can like 32 AD, 1948, 1967, those are rock solid. It seems like everything else is just an event that happens sometime.
0: But when we're talking about essentially the fulfillment of the entire book of Revelation and everything in it, you know, comfortably saying, well, if that's comfortably between uh, this year in 2075, that that's that's pretty close. <laughs> Meaning, there's a yeah. lot of we, we should expect these next uh, couple of decades to be pr- pretty darned interesting, and and they already yeah. have been, as, as you pointed out, they already have been. They are, they are very interesting, and I don't think we can overstate that that this really matters. I mean, we're talking about a Dead Sea Scroll calendar that has been that explains history and is verifiable from historical accuracy and has prophetically been correct to the day on on how it explains historical prophecy for the last 6,000 odd years. And what it's telling us is that we should be paying real close attention to biblical prophecy right now because we're running out of calendar, essentially. Can, can you talk about the statement, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Why does that come up so
1: much in this conversation? Um, I think it's it's because Peter had mentioned that. And, of course, it, it could mean multiple things. But the whole concept of uh, the, uh, the Sabbath, and this is the teaching in the scrolls and of the Essenes, that the weekly Sabbath is a picture of, because it's a ritual also, just like Passover and Pentecost and all, But it's a picture of six thousand years of human history and a millennial reign and so because of that and those quotes and the one in the psalms a lot of the early church fathers said okay well we're going to have six thousand years of human history and so in the year six thousand that's when this the kingdom would start and that may or may not be true but it's we're getting really close to it and so according to their calendar it's 2075. i've had some people say i don't I can't see it going that long. And it's like, well, maybe it's not as far as the rapture goes. But remember, if we're using the modern Jewish calendar, the year 6,000 is about 220 years away. If we're using the Dead Sea Scroll calendar, it's 51 years away. And so I'd much rather have it 51 than 200 and some.
0: Yeah. And and to complete the analogy there, the reason why the the days and and thousand year is kind of fun, very poetic, is because you look at God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. And if a day is like a thousand years, then uh, then we have six thousand years of 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 this building up to the transition of His resting of the millennial reign, starting at the beginning of the seventh day, which is at the end of of year six thousand, which according to the Dead Sea Scroll calendar is. Uh, is coming up in the next 50 odd years. And um, I, I'm, I'm with you on just the fact that it's hard to see it going a lot longer than that, partly because my background, which uh, there's no reason you would know, but my background is in institutional finance. And um, whether it's a second coming or just a, a major financial meltdown, you know, we're, we're out of time. They're, they're saying, yeah, or something's going to change, and and there's a lot of things that that have to happen. And most of the people I know who pay attention to these things are going, yeah, we're in for some rough years. Some things are going to change, and it and it's probably. It like it. and, and these are even very secular people saying we should expect to see major shakeup in in how the world looks and how economic power looks. And and really, what what even my secular friends can agree with me on is it just seems like we're extremely ripe for a consolidation of of economic and political power. And if you start thinking about that from an Antichrist perspective, that's those are the necessary things. If to have an Antichrist, you have to have a consolidation of global economic and political power down to a single party or a single controlling faction which uh, a few hundred years ago would have been almost impossible would have been technologically impossible politically extremely difficult but today not very far-fetched to see the idea of a consolidation of political and economic power in the in the coming decades and possibly um, possibly even more rapidly than that
1: mm-hmm. So, one thing i think is interesting too is a lot of people wonder when jesus said uh, the generation that sees these things pass won't, or that the sees these things will not pass until all is fulfilled. And a generation properly means from the, your birth to the birth of your firstborn son. You know, you're the king and then he becomes the next king. So it's not a number system, it's just a generation. But in the scrolls, a lot of times the word generation is interchanged with the word jubilee. So it is possible that he's referring to the last Jubilee period of our age is when all these things take place. And I've been saying that for the last, I don't know, five or or six years. And people say, Oh, but that's like seven, eight years away, there's no way. It's it's one year away now. And I just think it's really interesting that none of those prophecies that we're thinking about, you know, the Antichrist, that kind of stuff has happened yet. And if they just wait one and a half more years, basically, it's a year from this March when then the Jubilee year would start, and then we have a, a whole nother Jubilee system. So it's really interesting to think, okay, well, that very well could be. So it So just feel feel free to speculate. What would you be
0: looking at then saying, Alright, so what, what would you be paying attention to to say is this, is this on? Or is it slightly off? Specifically, what what things of Jesus are, are? What was he referring to that would be interesting to pay attention to over the next couple of years in that case?
1: Well, I think he was specifically talking about when you see the abomination of desolation. That would, of course, be in the tribulation period, and obviously, if it's just three or four years, it's all, nobody's going to die until it's all fulfilled. But um, there are a, a lot of those things that we talked about, like all those wars: the Psalm eighty-three war, the destruction of Damascus, uh, the taking of southern Lebanon, taking of Gilead, the uh, colonizing of the Negev, um, the tribe of Benjamin coming back. There's a whole bunch of things like that. Those are all out of Obadiah and Zephaniah and a few other places. And uh, so there's a whole lot of things that would happen. They, They could all happen at the same time. It's possible that several of these wars are pieces of the same war, but there's just a lot of things that happen. And my guess is nothing would happen for two or three or four years and then stuff would start happening. But apparently I'm wrong because it looks like we're seeing the uh, the, the Hamas war right now. And people are, it's interesting because people look at that and say, well, i where do you get this? And it's like, well, the word for Hamas or the word for violence in Hebrew is Hamas. And it's in the old Testament, some 200 times. And it usually just means violence, but there's about five or six places where it, the text is talking about a group of people called violence. And one text specifically, like in, uh, I think it's uh, Amos five, it talks about this group of people would be the government seat of Gath of the Philistines. And that's Gaza Strip. And we have a group of people that's the government street that's called violence. And it talks about how they how they end and the things that they cause. And it's, it's really interesting. And you think, well, maybe that's, you know, hundreds of years ago, and it's a coincidence. Well, there's a specific word that's used according to the scrolls that lets you indicate what ona it's in which 500 year period, and it's in our 500 year period. So if Israel's back, it has to be sometime after 1948 that that prophecy is fulfilled. So it's got to be talking about this group of Hamas now. So it's really interesting. That's just one. But there's a whole lot of other things like that. And I think we're seeing that now. And if Hezbollah enters the war, this could be the time when they take southern Lebanon. There's a prophecy in Zephaniah, um, or it's a, in Zephaniah or Obadiah. It talks about after that war, the new border of Israel will be uh, Zarephath, which is where uh, Elijah raised the widows' um, yeah, the widows' son, and that is uh, Saffron, or Seraphat, I think, Lebanon. It's between Tyre and Sidon, so. You know right now the the border of israel is at a certain place at that point it's going to be several miles north in the millennial reign it's going to be even further north so we know that that prophecy is not millennial reign it's something between now and then so there's just a whole lot of details on prophecy we can look at that's all from scripture but then there's a lot more details in the scrolls well this is
0: uh, very, very exciting stuff. I mean, it's, it's beyond interesting. This is extremely compelling stuff to go, oh, wait, the stuff I'm reading in the news is potentially a, a direct reference to key events of biblical end times prophecy. And and the end, you know, what we're saying is, yeah, it sure seems to be. And, and you kind of have to work pretty hard to talk yourself out of it at that point. Now, I want to remind our listeners that um, you should not expect the Secular voices to pick up on this sort of thing, and you should expect them to try and explain why that's absolutely not the case. And if if you are if you're a a relatively new listener, and and we did an episode, by the way, when some of the violence in Israel broke out, and we talked about the uh, the events there, Uh, if you haven't taken a close look at that, I encourage you, listeners, to go look at what what happened on the ground in Israel. And part of what you're going to see is this was not just your average run of the mill terrorist attack this was a level of barbarism and horrific treatment and sexual violence and just the the uh, I want the word I'm I'm going to use I know could could uh could be controversial but it, it's a demonic level attack and I'm not saying that against any particular person I'm saying there's something very very spiritually dark about what happened in Israel with this Hamas attack, and it's—I know that's a political hot button, but it's—it's it's not just your average everyday political, you know, skirmish. There's there's something bigger going on here, and based on what Ken Johnson is sharing with us, then um, if it it probably is a marker of the. The times that we're in, so Ken, I, I, we're a, we're an hour and a half in. We I, I really thank you for your time, and I'm we're very grateful for it. And I think we're everybody's going. No, you can't stop now. You know this. We're just getting to the really interesting stuff, and and, and I'd be more than happy to revisit some of this with you. But before we wind up here, if you could share your general thoughts on. uh, try to let's picture the listener that we have some listeners who are nodding along saying, yep, I've been, I've been reading up on this stuff. I've been paying attention to it. I'm familiar with the material. And then we have other people who are going, what? (laughs) Meaning like, wait, you're telling me that if this Dead Sea Scroll calendar is accurate, then in my lifetime, in the next 50 odd years, give or take, then we should expect to see the fulfillment of the entire book of Revelation. And some people are going to immediately start backpedaling and say, well, every generation has said that. And to some extent that's true, but there are some, Mm -hmm. some real good reasons. And the Dead Sea Scroll calendar is one of them that it seems particularly true right now. And, and it, and there's a, a, and, and you know if anybody's in doubt i i think this is the case i think this is what we're dealing with right now i think we're we're entering we're already in but we're accelerating into a period of of human history that is the single most interesting time to be alive outside of you know jesus walking the earth the difference is this is going on all over the globe at the same time we're all going to get to see it at the same time so mm-hmm. we're we're this this is it and this is why we're doing the things we're doing and why we're talking about the things we're talking about now that could be and should be an ontological shock for some people. We're not trying to shock people speaking to the Christian who just had some sort of wake up call listening to this podcast. What now? I mean, we're not saying, well, definitely go liquidate your 401k and buy a bunker. No, that that's between you and your spouse. If you want to do that, that's not that we're not making recommendations like that. What we're saying is it's time to start taking scripture real seriously if you haven't been. And so, Ken, what, what would you say to somebody who is hearing this for the first time and they believe what you're saying and they're going, uh, oh, what, what do I do? And how do how am I supposed to absorb this? And how do I, what, what, what do I do as a Christian spiritually? What do I need to be paying attention to? What, what kind of lies should we be expecting what do we need to guard against what do we need to prepare for jesus talks about the great deception what you know do you have if you have thoughts on that what what this is your chance to talk to the audience and say hey based on what i've learned um here are some things to be thinking about
1: okay well i would say first off it's the same thing like peter said if the flood actually occurred then the fire judgment's going to come so we need to be serious about it be ready for it Uh, be godly, that kind of a thing. So if you're not a Christian, I would say, understand that the Bible tells you all sorts of things ahead of time, which is what prophecy is. And so far, it's been 100% accurate. And it is said that we all are destined for hell because none of us are perfect. We have this weird sin nature. And so what we need to do is accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, our Messiah he came and paid the penalty for that so we can have eternal life. And that's a free gift if we just accept it. Now, if you do, and you are a Christian, you have eternal life. But that does not mean you're going to have a perfect life down here. We do need to be careful of things and understand if we are entering that last Jubilee period, uh, and a whole lot of different things are going to happen, we may not be touched much over here in the United States, but then again, maybe we are. I mean, the United States isn't mentioned directly in that sense. So uh, be careful. Um, I, on a practical level, I would say pay your debts off. Don't, don't be in debt. Um, uh, have a family, have a spiritual family. Go to a church that teaches prophecy, that teaches everything. Not weird stuff, but a serious study of the scriptures. And we don't want to divide over it because we could be wrong. On anything future until it actually happens, then we'll know for sure what the dates were and everything. But we need to be serious of study, just like anything else. If you were going to be a good fisherman and provide for your family, you need to study how to fish. So we need to study prophecy. We need to study the scriptures. We need to live a moral life. We need to be accepting for the Lord. And we need to talk about our faith with other people. But we need a family, a good, solid church uh, to be a part of.
2: Uh, what, one quick question is, as, as you were talking about Hamas, I just looked up on um, dsscalendar.org, your your website where you can plug in these dates. And I noticed, so the Hamas attack on October 7th was right in the middle of what the Dead Sea Scroll calendar would have as the the proper Feast of Tabernacles, if I'm reading that right. Do, do you see that as in any significance of, of the date, right? Yeah,
1: I thought it was interesting. I didn't catch it at first. But the, um, um, the Yom Kippur War uh, was in 1973. That was Yom Kippur, not Tabernacles. They're really close together within a few days. But one of the guys had pointed out that he was looking on the Gregorian calendar. But if you go to the Dead Sea Scroll calendar, they're on the exact same date back then and now so it could just be a coincidence but it's interesting that both of those wars happen on the same date Now it could be a coincidence or it could be a very specific target because a lot of times muslims will attack on the anniversary of a defeat or the anniversary of something so just because two things like that happen at the same time a starting of a war is not that big of a deal now if it ended at the exact same time or something like that, it would be interesting. But yeah, it very well could be. That's one of the reasons why we did the, the Dead Sea Scroll calendar section in is like that, because when you look at the dates, just the dates themselves, sometimes you don't see any patterns, but when you're looking at seven year cycles with Jubilees in there and you start seeing that something happens on the fourth one and there's this pattern, it's just really interesting. So like, for instance, we're told the Antichrist will desecrate the temple. In the middle of the week, that's the middle of that last Shemitah, uh, if the calendar is accurate. Well, the middle of the last Shemitah of the last age was the destruction of the temple. It's like, well, that's interesting. So I was looking that up. I went back to the end of the first age. Did anything happen at the exact middle of the last Shemitah of that one? Yeah, that was the destruction of the Tower of Babel. (laughs) Now, I don't know what the Tower of Babel has to do with the temple. So, again, I don't, you know, but it's kind of weird that that would be a coincidence. Yeah, You know, that's the major, major apostate religious headquarter type thing. So you'll see all sorts of stuff. Now, if you just look at it up in the AM time, you don't see a pattern. So, but it's really interesting.
0: That's very interesting, and you, you've probably noticed our, our logo, which we had a lot of fun with, has the Tower of Babel, and so we we pay close attention. It also has a UFO, but we yeah. uh, it, we pay close attention to the Tower of Babel because it's a. It, it we, we when we study Genesis, when you when we study the beginning, it seems to inform a lot about the end. And so we we pay close attention to what happened at the beginning, because if we if we understand the beginning, then the end makes a lot more sense because and and so does the middle. (laughs) So that's uh, so those are topics that we refer to frequently. I I know Dan has some closing thoughts. I'll have a a few closing thoughts, but uh, Ken, we we're so grateful for you being on here. any any closing thoughts? I'll give you a chance, but before we finish here, also to to share where people can find you and all that. But just in terms of the conversation we've had and and thinking of how people are feeling right now, listening to this, especially ones who haven't heard this sort of thing before. Any closing thoughts? Your commentary on um, finding a church and getting involved and being submitted to good, solid Bible teaching, I think, is absolutely the best possible advice Um, anything else you think people should be looking at paying attention to brushing up on um, based on your expertise in these areas and related areas
1: yeah i would just say continue to study the new testament specifically and the old testament and then the scrolls when you can just to treat it seriously just to try to figure things out to see what's going on the moral points are the most important The prophecy parts are equally important, and we need to focus on those things and just continue to learn. And it's really hard to do that by yourself. I mean, you really do need a group of people. Uh, You can study with us online. You guys have a podcast. There's several groups that are doing things like that. Uh, But nothing beats a good, solid church that you can go to on a weekly basis or a few times a week and have other people interested in prophecy that study with you and things like that. So, um, yeah, just be careful. Don't be fearful. Uh, Believe what the Lord said. If you're a Christian, you will have eternal life. It's an exciting time to be here, but we also do have to be careful.
0: That's fantastic advice, and we really appreciate it. What are some of the best resources that you would point people towards if somebody said, you know, okay, I want to do that. Where? where do I go? Obviously, we we have this podcast, which we we talk some about prophecy. But for somebody who really wants to come up to speed on prophecy, biblical prophecy, obviously, there's a lot of charlatans out there. What are some places that you can say, hey, you know this wouldn't be a bad place to start? Or or why don't you go go check this out? And you're going to learn some helpful stuff.
1: Okay, uh, Chuck Missler was a great teacher, and there still is his Cornea house with a lot of his teachings. Uh, I'm over at Bible Facts, we do a a Monday night broadcast every week, and we have lots of YouTube videos, and a network and other things. Um, Prophecy Watchers is another really great uh, TV program that does things with uh, prophecy. Um, And Calvary Chapels, I would recommend I've been at Calvary Chapel for like over 20 years. And so uh, they're just a really good solid biblically based church.
0: Super helpful, thank you. We're big fans of Chuck Missler. And uh, while you are talking about these things, go ahead and tell people where they can find you, what you have going on, um, any books you're particularly excited about, any projects you're particularly excited about. Uh, We've we've briefly mentioned your websites, but feel free to say them again so that people can find them. How do people find you and what you have going on and what other resources do you have that people should be paying attention to?
1: Okay, our main website is biblefacts.org And that's F-A-C-T-S, like a fact. Um, But uh, we've been there for quite a while. We also do a a broadcast on YouTube on Monday nights at 7 p.m. We have about 70,000 subscribers on that channel, so we're doing real good there. Um, uh, You can always go to the Calvary Chapel Association. A lot of those links are on my site, too. Uh, We do have a... um, a private group. It's not Facebook or anything. So we can talk about whatever we want to talk about without being censored. Uh, it's bfn.biblefacts.org. And of course, the uh, links are all there. Uh, I've written about 34 books total um, in the last five or six years. And a lot of them have been on Dead Sea Scrolls, Bible prophecy, things like that. So the testaments of the patriarchs are amazing. That's uh, yes, the, I had, the history I, and the prophecies from before Moses. So yeah, we've I've got that on, on my that. shelf, uh,
0: I, I second that enthusiastically, people need to read it, and especially people who are interested in some of the some of the woo woo topics that that we cover that there's some very directly relevant stuff there. And, and that's one of the ones where people ask me, Joel, how are you making these connections? Well, you read the material and Testament of the patriarchs is a really interesting one.
1: Yeah, it is. That's how they said that we know the Pharisees and Sadducees are lying because you can't have an oral Torah from Moses that says the opposite of what these say. So it's pretty amazing. Like the testament of Noah is amazing. It has, he has a dream of the empires in metal mountains that are identical with uh, Daniel chapter two, the metal in the, in the image. So it gives us more information about the empires and things like that. So there's just a whole bunch of things to pull in together. So we're going to continue writing on the scrolls. Hopefully this summer, I'm going to put together a, a book on the really small fragments that are prophetic and kind of pull all those together. So we're continuing to write, write and research. We know where there's some other scrolls. Uh, we just can't quite get our hands on them yet. Uh, When we do, though, we will definitely publish them. So that's what we want to do is just bring all this information out and so everybody can look at it and figure it out.
0: I, I will also mention just because it's it's an interesting um, uh, serendipity that the Prophecy Watchers conference, one of their major annual conferences is in Florida this year, and it starts tomorrow. And typically you can, uh, and that one's in Orlando, but typically you can go to their website and download after the fact and, and pay to see the speakers and the different presenters there. And that's always a great material as well. Um, Dan, closing thoughts before we wind down here.
2: Yeah. So, you know, as you're, as you're listening and this, you know, as I was reading this book, one thing we're always tempted to come back to is like, well, we want to know, right. We want to know the date of the end and we don't know, you know, maybe it'll be 2032, maybe 2075, maybe whenever in hindsight, it'll be obvious. Um, but I was, I was also thinking that that, you know, that's, true on a big scale of what that data is but for for each individual one of us any moment could be our end right we're not guaranteed tomorrow and so if you're listening to this and and you don't already know Jesus as your savior right, there's no more important decision you could make than than to than to follow Christ and and if you and if you do already follow Christ, and count yourself a, a christian then you know there's no time to delay right i know i know people who have been like oh i, I want to get into ministry stuff you know once once i accomplish this or that you know there's no delaying right we we are we are in the end times we've been in the end times for 2000 years really but the time is is close uh and and there's Nothing better than we can do with our time than than to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves, and and go out there and 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 follow Christ and make disciples. So ultimately, that's what matters um, more than what any specific date may or may not be. Uh, it doesn't really matter. What matters is is following Christ, and everything's going to be reconciled in Him anyway.
0: And I'll I'll echo that, uh, dear listeners. We hope that as you've listened to this, it has uh, ho- hopefully uh, given your eyebrows a little bit of a workout in in the the most positive sense, so that you're going, oh, there's some urgency here. And yeah, there is. That's why that's that's why we're doing this podcast. That's why you know that that's why I'm and seminary and shifting into preaching full-time and and shifting away from the finance career I was building before that is because I'm, I'm personally feeling the urgency. And I, I think a lot of people are, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are going, I think this might be it. And whether we're right or, or wrong, that's a, that's a real good bet to make because you're, you're, you're going the right direction with it. We should be living with urgency and not just because of some clear and present danger, but because of our excitement about Christ and his return. And that—that that is the human life that we've been given. We've been given the opportunity to do things on earth by faith for the sake of Jesus Christ, who lived and died and resurrected for our sake. And he rewards what we do on earth. And when we do things out of love for him, then he tells us it pays eternal dividends. And this is this is a real good time to be thinking about that, saying, okay, well, what does he want me to do? And I, I loved what uh, Ken Johnson alluded to earlier, where he said, there are times to say, what can I be giving to him? What can I dedicate to him? And I would encourage each and every one of you listeners to have that conversation with jesus christ have the conversation directly with him yes talk to your your uh your believer friends yes read your bible yes talk to your pastor and all those sorts of things but none of those substitute for having the conversation with jesus if you ask him what he wants from you he'll tell you and he'll put it on your heart, and he'll put it on the page of your scripture, and he'll put it in the lips of the preachers you're listening to, and in the, the, uh, the words and actions of the people around you who love you and who love him, and you're going to start to go, oh, I think I understand what he wants from me. And some of it's real, real plain, like Dan mentioned, it's love your neighbor as yourself. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Live righteously, as Ken mentioned. You you know most of the things. And so start start with those, but be having an active conversation with Jesus Christ and say, hey, if you're coming back soon, what can I be doing for you in the meantime? What do you want from me? What have you given to me that you want me to bring back to your feet, so that it's it's a, a gift to you? Because I'm looking forward to the day when I see you coming in glory. We're all going to see it. We're going to see it whether whether we die beforehand or or whether he comes back before our our natural death. We're all going to see the day when he returns, and we're all going to be as uh, as uh, I think it's uh, Second Thessalonians uh, chapter one says we're going to be marveling together, looking at looking at him and marveling together. So I anticipate that eagerly, and hopefully you caught some of that uh, eagerness and that excitement in this conversation. And it's excitement about past prophecy. It's excitement that the Bible is reliable. It's excitement that we have information that wasn't available a few generations ago to try to understand these prophecies because of the Dead Sea Scrolls and because of the work that people like Ken Johnson have done to try and make them accessible and understandable to us. And so we have this stuff available and it's a very exciting time to be a Christian and it's a very exciting time to be a follower of Jesus. I encourage each and every one of you to Get a copy of the ancient Dead Sea Scroll calendar by Ken Johnson and uh, all, all 36 of his other books, if you want to, as many of them as you want. I've certainly benefited from them. I'll put links down in the uh, down in the description below. You'll see it in the show notes. And we're very grateful to Mr. Johnson for his time and his expertise. And um, while we're talking about it too, this, this of all episodes is probably a pretty good episode, a pretty good podcast episode to share with your friends obviously that's how this podcast grows but more importantly we want people to be feeling the same urgency we, anybody who you know who needs to know that Jesus is coming back and uh, the things that we talk about in Revelation might not be so far away and there might be some some adjustments you want to make to your life this is a real good way to orient them to those things especially as they look at the news so share, share this episode with people thank you very much for joining us we're grateful to Mr. Johnson and we look forward to the next episode